you would take your Bibles, turn with me to Micah chapter 5. And as you turn there, let me answer the question that's in your mind. Does he know what time it is? No. All right. Yeah, they can see the time up there. All right, I'm ignoring it. Matthew chapter 5, what we're going to do this morning, we're going to kind of wet our whistle for our Christmas uh, focus this year. We'll be in Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. It is a passage that at least some of you've heard, you are familiar with, you may not have known it came out of the book of Micah, uh, and it could indeed be the only verse that you know from the book of Micah, though there's another one that may also be familiar we won't be dealing with. But, but this is an ever-present text for the Christmas season, primarily because it shows up in Matthew chapter 2, and it shows up in the story of the wise men and them coming to Jerusalem and seeking the king of the Jews who had been born. And the religious leaders, when they are asked by Herod, where should we go looking? They say, well, the prophet tells us, Bethlehem is the place where he will be born. So Micah chapter 5, though again, not one of the most prominent of Old Testament books, certainly features significantly in the Christmas story. And what we're going to do is just set the context a little bit and uh, get an idea of, of, of the, the fundamental point being communicated and then kind of lay into our first point as, as we bring our service to a close this morning. So Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. I want you to try and imagine with me, if you can, what it would be like to live during a time of vast political corruption. No, 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 hold on. I I mean, imagine if you could, uh, living during a day when those in charge seem to use their position for their own sordid gain. Imagine a time where the wealthy and powerful only seem to get wealthier and more powerful by indulging their greed, using their position, and abusing those who had no power to stop it. I want you to try and imagine a time 
when religious leaders who should be declaring God's truth should be warning people of the consequences of disregarding and disobeying God, but instead only said what people wanted to hear, making them feel better about themselves. I want you to imagine a time where the people in general, rather than honoring God and and God as He commanded in His Word, pursued their own desires, their own flesh. They pursued their own path and indulged in immorality and idolatry. Can you imagine living in such a time? Well, obviously you pick up on the snark, right? Of course you can. Because you think, Pastor, that's our day. But that was the day ten years ago. It was the same thing fifty years ago. It was the same thing a hundred years ago. It was the same thing a millennia ago. It was the same thing 2,000 years ago on that night when Jesus was born, when a people who were in darkness and sin and, 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 and feeling the, the weight of depravity in its full on the culture, that first Christmas, they knew what this was like. And four centuries before that, during the day of... Micah the prophet, they knew what that was like. In fact, what I just described to you, first and foremost, is drawn from the historical context of the book of Micah. This was the condition of Israel and Judah during the days of this prophet. Days not long before God was going to finally bring to fulfillment the promise of judgment to come upon them. You see, up until this point, God had warned Israel generation after generation after generation after generation after generation after generation generation, people to return to covenant fidelity, to to reject idolatry, to reject sin, and that every level of society that they needed to return to what it meant to be the people of God, obeying the law of God, living in the blessing of God. But every generation, just not, not only did they reject the prophet, they seemed to find brand new ways to only reinforce their offense at a holy God. By the time we get to Micah, we are getting close to the day when finally... Well, their sins will come upon them. The consequences of their disobedience will be met. And and God had warned them again and again. He was going to use another nation as an instrument of judgment. All because of these things. And all the while, during Micah's day, while all this is going on, you know what they all think? That's fine. It's fine. We're God's people. God's not going to do anything to us. Oh, for sure, the other nations, the bad nations, but not us. 
So not only was it a time of great sin, great depravity, not only was it a time where corruption was found at every single level, but people were oblivious to the danger. And so God did what God always does. He, he sent a prophet. This is what God always did, sending prophets to communicate clearly the condition of the nation, where they are, what he was about to do, and at the same time, speak words of hope and promise of a greater day. And then this is the background of Micah chapter 5. Now, Micah is called a minor prophet. Uh, it's not because he's insignificant, and it's not because he's gloomy, all right? So that's not why he's called minor. It's just because he's shorter. Like all the minor prophets, and there are 12 of them, they're called minor because eh, they just weren't as wordy as Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. And so they're called minor, and Micah's one of those. In just a handful of chapters, you could work your way through it between now and next Sunday, if you so desired. And like every minor prophet that wrote, that they have a combination of messages. One, they have the message that judgment will come upon them. God had made clear in His law to violate it brought consequences. And so now Micah comes along and reasserts this, reinforces this is what is going to happen. But Micah isn't just content with bringing this word of warning to Judah or Israel. And Micah's clear this is going to the nations. Everyone will be held responsible for their sin before God. Not just the nation of Israel, but every tribe, tongue, and nation will submit to the one true God. Micah is all about this, but in the midst of this, Here's what the minor prophets do. Again, it's, it can be rough, all right? It, I'll, I, I will not lie to you. It can be rough to read through the minor prophets because they're heavy. There's a lot of language about judgment, a lot of specific language about judgment. But they also have this other promise, especially to those men and women of Israel who were, who were doing all they could to remain faithful, what the Old Testament calls the remnant those who were staying true as best they could to the covenant God has made with His people. So sprinkled throughout these minor prophets, we have these bright but often brief shining moments where promises are made. Promises that even though God will judge, God will not leave His people in exile. He will not leave His people orphans. God will restore and redeem. And this is what we have in Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. You could call it a moment where the flickering of Christmas lights kind of comes on bright and strong, all right? Where, where, where it really shines through, where maybe there's a hint of a promise here and there. These verses 2 through 5 ring out clear and true. God has not abandoned His people. As we heard in what the Joy Choir presented to us this morning, indeed, that would have been the concern, not just in Micah's day, but you fast forward 400 years later to the days of the birth of Christ, and you find a nation that has not heard a word from God in centuries. God's gone silent. 
They're in exile. They're still under the thumb of an oppressive political organization, the Romans. The religious leaders who should be loving them and encouraging them and feeding them, rather than indulging in idolatry, have gone the other way. They don't want to be judged again. So the religious leaders are using the law to just beat the people to death. So much so, if the Bible says, if the Old Testament law said, you can't work on the Sabbath, then they came along and said, you can't even carry more than a thimble full of milk on the Sabbath day. This is what they did. They took the commands, and they made up a bunch of little ones. Jesus even describes this as a yoke and a burden upon them. They're also shepherdless, leaderless. Jesus describes them this way. And so the promise of Micah was not just for Micah's day, it also comes shining out in the day of Jesus, and I would contend, it's still for us. This this is fundamentally what we're going to be looking at in Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. God promises to His people that there will be a Messiah. There will be one who will come who will restore, one who will bring them back into, into faithful fellowship with God. And the truth is, humanity's greatest need, earthly need, is a Messiah. This is what we still need. Though we no longer look forward to the first coming, this is still what people need. The people of this day and age struggling under the exact same things that they struggled under 2,500 years ago. Because humans haven't changed. We're still the same. And we still need God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. This is the promise of the Messiah one who fulfills all of God's promises to save and restore. Micah's prophecy speaks to God's promises fulfilled in his Messiah. So what, what, are, what are these promises? Well, there's several. I, I want to give you one blank to fill. Well, there's two blanks, but one point, all right? You've got it on your notes. I know we're right here. Just give me one more minute, all right? Because this is setting the stage for what's going to come because now every Christmas thing we get together... All right, whatever we're going to be doing, our focus, when I have an opportunity to teach, will come from Micah chapter 5 and these promises that are revealed to us in the text. So number one, the first promise that we have is that the bright, that the, the Christmas story brings the light of salvation to the darkness of sin. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you that language isn't explicitly in verses 2 through 5. Instead, that's the principal point that I draw from the entire context I've already shared. Again, this is, this is what Micah is dealing with. It is a time of deep darkness. There is suffering and pain, and there is sin and rebellion. It is the nature of Micah's day. And what, what the book does, and again, you could go through and read it, but Micah chapter 1 lays out the case of God's sovereignty for the nations to judge all the nations. You get to chapters 2 and 3, and God's indictments get more specific. He not only abrades the people for their covenant faithlessness, he goes after leadership, political leadership, and spiritual leadership. 
He tells the prophets that they're not prophesying right, they've abdicated their role and responsibility, and he tells the kings and princes that they also have abdicated their responsibility, that that, that the the prophets are not speaking the truth, and, and the leadership are not leading as shepherds, faithfully loving and caring for Israel. It's into this that then we have these profound promises. Yeah, this, this, this is the fundamental background. It is a day of darkness. Well, again, like we said in the beginning, I mean, this is the day that we find ourselves in, right? A day of darkness, a day of suffering, a day of sin, a day of rebellion. Well, nothing's changed. Now, the message of Christmas, embodied in Micah chapter 5, Come to light then in the stories of the first Christmas, still our need today, and this is fundamentally what it is. Why do we need this? Why the message that you've heard in the music this morning? Why is all of this so significant? Because the Christmas story begins what is the the heart and soul of God's work in the world. And that is to to do just this, bring the light of salvation to the darkness of sin. John chapter 1 says it this way, right? John chapter 1 tells us about the Word, Jesus, who was in the beginning, was with God, was God, was responsible for creation. And then John tells us that this Word is the light. This light has come into the world, but the darkness did not comprehend it. But John goes on to tell us that this light, it's the life of the world. In Him is life. Again, because this is our fundamental problem. And this is what we'll make emphatic as we bring this to a close. You didn't think I could do it. Very, I'm not done yet. All right. We do well to remember that when I say this is a day of darkness, when I talk about Micah's day, when I talk about Jesus' day, right, the, the first Christmas, when I talk about our day being dominated by darkness, the primary emphasis is on the problem, the reality, and the curse of sin. I think often what, what gets pushed is merely talking about this in regard to hurt and pain and grief. And I'm not saying there's not that. There undoubtedly is all of that. Because there's still sin in the world. See, here's what we don't need. We don't just need light to come into darkness. If I were to tell you, Christmas is about the bringing of light to darkness. Do you think there's anybody in this country or world who would disagree with that? No. I mean, maybe an atheist, right? Maybe a hardcore atheist doesn't believe in any kind of divinity. But otherwise, even the most progressive liberal denominations would nod their head. And they'd say, yes, Christmas is about bringing light to darkness. Until I push forward and say, it's about bringing the light that only in Jesus Christ can you be saved. And that the darkness is men's rebellion and sin and something they can't do anything about in their own power. It's that that people would shake their heads, gnash their teeth, 
lose their minds. But this is what Christmas reminds us of. It is a promise that in Christ, the light of salvation has come into the darkness of sin. And we are reminded that God did something that we could not do. God had to intervene. Micah is a promise to us. All the prophetic promises of Christmas are the same. A promise that the only solution is God's divine intervention. And nothing screams that like what God did at Christmas. God had to intervene. He had to come and do something miraculous, supernatural. He did that, literally dividing time between B.C. and A.D., regardless of how modern liberals want to describe it, all right? They can call it the common era and all they want, but it's still the same time frame, all right? It's still about Jesus, no matter what they do, because this is what God had to do. Because our problem was not a mere problem that we lacked a little bit of wisdom or discernment or we need somebody to give us a clearer path. That wasn't the problem. The problem was we were dead in our trespasses and sin and I was unable to do anything about it. I cannot, I cannot wrench myself out of the muck and the mire that I am in and the depth of, of my sin, the judgment that I deserve. Christmas screams at me that there was nothing I could do about my sin. But God's love was so immense He did not require me to do something about my sin, but He demonstrated His love for me and that while I was yet sinner, Christ died. This is the Christmas message. God bringing the light of salvation to the darkness of sin. By the way, we also remind ourselves that this is a sufficient salvation and that Jesus alone is the one who saves. He does guarantee this. Christmas screams of the exclusivity of Christ. Salvation is found in no other name but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I would ask you this morning, as we get ready to sing, Come Thou Long-Expected Savior. Fitting song as we think about Micah and his prophetic promise. Have you trusted in this Savior? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you believed that you are a sinner unable to save yourself? Have you believed that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead? Have you trusted in Him and Him alone to save you? not, I would implore you to believe on the gospel. Confess Christ and be saved. To those who are believers, I would encourage you then, say, yes, I'm a believer, then I would encourage you with this promise. Salvation has come, and no matter the darkness of the day, the hope of Christ is still the light of salvation. And church, let me encourage you with this, because I know you watch the news even when I tell you to stop it, all right? I know, I know these things are frustrating. I understand, you know, elections and whatnot and the burden that just, you know, rails in your own hearts. I get it, but understand God's gospel has not lost the power to save. It is still the light of salvation. And so at the Christmas season, we rejoice in the promises of God and the salvation of a Messiah to come. Let me pray for us. Father God, we do thank you for the gathering of your church and the privilege of being able to be reminded once again about the beauty and the majesty and the glory of this season, that that this is about a Savior come to save people from their sins. And we thank you that this promise is so clearly communicated in your word from beginning to end. 
And we celebrate that here today. And, and we, we submit ourselves then to your word and its promises, asking that as your people, we would live in light of them, faithful to them. And that during this Christmas season, we would be bold and courageous and compassionate witnesses for the sake of the gospel of Christ to a world that is still in darkness, still dead in their trespasses and sin, and that we would have confidence that you are a God who is still saving people. May we commit ourselves to that. Bring us under your word. May your spirit bring your word to bear on our lives that we might live faithfully before you and to your glory. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.